2: G'day, this is Better Make It Quick. It's the Wednesday version of Better Than Yesterday, which is a quick little bite of some of the back catalogue of a show that's here to make your day today better than yesterday. Something you hear on this and every show will do just that. We've been here since 2013, having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts at what they do, and each episode will have you feeling better than yesterday. does what it says in the box. I'm Osher. I'm a TV host. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a... I'm a person that, that has rigged a strange kind of cable pulley system in his backyard that lifts some weights without lifting them, if you know what I mean, because when I carry the weights around, it hurts my leg. It hurts my leg because I've got more surgery coming up. If you want to know more about that shit, well, just uh, scroll back listen to a couple of Friday episodes. You'll know all about it. I'm very happy that Bruce Steele, who's uh, one of my producers here at Better Than Yesterday, has gone back and found this conversation, which is a shorter version of episode 335 from about two years ago now with Sophia Hamblin-Wang. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Mineral... Carbonation International, which is an Australian company working on decarbonizing the atmosphere and repurposing the CO2 from many industrial processes by locking it up in building material like concrete and plasterboard. It's pretty epic. Sophia and I first met really early in the COVID-19 pandemic. She and I had been on Q&A together and we connected over the internet because, you know, we couldn't leave our houses. So she was in Canberra, I was in Sydney. Now, Sophia's main focus is on carbon sequestration. It's not a very well-known or particularly common field. I was interested, like, how do you just get into carbon sequestration?
3: I was actually doing a PhD at ANU in corporate social responsibility around the year 2013, and... I really had seen myself in an academic role of studying how to create business models that make the world a better place to maximise social impact and maximise return on investment. Because I think that in order to get a lot of the structures and large corporations on board and use their philanthropic spending for good, we need to be able to do it in a really clever way that makes money. So I was um, trying to, I was doing a PhD at the time and yeah, this, the company MCI just attracted $9.12 million worth of funding and it was based in Canberra and actually right exactly in my wheelhouse. It's turning CO2 into building materials. It is trying to create profits out of waste and circularity is where my heartbeats. And so the founder of the company happened to be someone that I'd known for a very long time and was one of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs, also happened to be my brother. (laughs)
2: And (laughs)
3: um, so I agreed to take a year's leave from my PhD to set up the structures of the company to hire all of the postdocs, PhDs and professors and corporate capability. And I just, from the day I stepped in there, I realized that there was a way better use of my skill set, which is really traversing business and science, communicating to larger audiences that you can make money from research commercialization for the good of the world, and I never looked back. (laughs) So that's how I came into it, and I really think that we have the potential to Make a big impact in global emissions and yeah. and utilization of carbon.
2: So let's let's just unpack that. We're currently seeing what happens where business isn't incentivized to uh, look at a solution for a very very big problem that might happen. We got we saw the first coronavirus fifteen years ago, but because it was kind of rare no pharmaceutical companies went into the research of any kind of vaccine. So 15 years since SARS-1, we've now had mm-hmm. MERS, we had this another one and now we're at SARS-2. So that's 15 years where we could have, you know, where businesses could have been developing it, but it's billions and billions of dollars to create a vaccine for anything. But we're so in such a problem right now because there was no incentive to do it. Why Why would we? Why would we spend all this money when we don't need to? So trying to find a place to incentivize businesses and incentivize the private sector into socially responsible, globally responsible, environmentally responsible business models is an extraordinary challenge and I commend you for it. So people kind of get a bit of a handle on, on what it is we're talking about. How would you describe, say if you you're down at Coles and you're 1.5 metres away from the next person and they turn around and say, so what do you do? You say carbon sequestration and they're standing there. (laughs) They've got their soy milk in one hand and their Sangers in the other. What's your answer when they go, what's carbon sequestration?
3: So basically, um, the world's emitting around 38 billion tonnes of CO2 annually and we have the way of life that we live right now and we've got all the infrastructure in the world that we need to live and have happy lives. And if you um, look at the UN's reports, they say that um, in order to reach 1.5, well, we've got around eight to 10 years to change the way that we emit our CO2 or do something drastically different in order to not warm above 1.5 degrees, which is a, a catastrophic thing. So, what my company does is we look at emissions and look at capturing emissions from any industrial um, place, any emitter like a steel or a cement factory or a generator, or we suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. And we look for ways to utilise the carbon and turn it into usable materials. So what we focus on is cements and plasterboards and other silica-rich products. But really what we do at the end of the day is we look for a way to turn gaseous emissions into solid things that will be able to be stored for tens of thousands of years. And so really what I've noticed working in this industry for the past seven years is that it would be great if governments would care about this issue and legislate so that uh, everyone was capturing their emissions and either storing it in some way or utilising it. So that's carbon capture, utilisation and storage, if you use the industrial terms. But we're waiting around for something like that to happen. And at the end of the day, we're going to be waiting a long time. So our company is creating business models because really business is starting to take the lead in this area. Um, They're not waiting for governments to make them do it anymore because they partially, their employees want them to, the market wants them to, and I would like to think that they're doing it because it's just the right thing to do as well.
2: Carbon can get sucked out of the air in many separate ways. Traditionally, as was nature intended, it's through plants. Every time you eat an apple, you're eating atmospheric carbon, all right? Yeah. But it can take like 30 years for a tree to grow big enough to make a bit of an impact, to suck enough carbon out of the air to make. You have know, the 10 tons of tree, all that carbon came from somewhere. It came from the air. So carbon sequestration is essentially taking carbon gas out of the atmosphere, capturing it, turning it into something solid that can help us,
3: Right. I think a tree is a very elegant technology, I'm using quotation marks, that turns CO2 into building materials. It takes over 30 years or 40 years, as you said. But if you look at the full life cycle of a tree, at the end of the tree's life, if it burns or rots it releases all of the co2 that has ever been embedded in its structure back into the atmosphere if it is emitted so it's one of the important solutions but it's also not the only one that we should be looking at our technology is mineral carbonation which is actually a, the earth's natural way that it stores co2 so A good example is the White Cliffs of Dover Mm -hmm. in England. So there are magnesium silicates in the world or lots of like low-grade minerals in that category that over millions of years through weathering or through rain pushing CO2 into the rock sucks up CO2 naturally. And we've just taken that process from millions of years and turned it into a matter of hours in the lab and now in in industrial size. So, yeah, the Earth also breathes in carbon dioxide all the time, and it's one of the largest storage solutions um, mm. that the Earth already uses. But we just – we need it a bit quicker because we've been tipping the scale a little bit.
2: Yeah, we've been – we've essentially – We've dug up billions of years worth of that carbon that you spoke of, trees being one of them is where we started burning trees. I mean, like we, let's be honest, we only have what we have as humans because we burned things, right? We figured out how to cook food. And one of the theories is that by cooking food, we release nutrients that then caused our brains to grow. But fire has been is indelibly a part of humanity's rise or the ability to heat because it turns one compound into another so we've always had fire we've always had heat we've always had the ability to change natural compounds into other compounds be it steel or cooking or any other kind of metal or you know creating whatever process we need heat to create it when you do your process obviously it's tricky to make sure that the process itself doesn't put out more carbon than than what you're doing what are the what are the percentages what is it what does it work out once you've taken the energy I'm assuming like in the the room I'm sitting in is i don't know what it's 10 square meters how are you going to suck the carbon out of this 10 square meters that's going to take you a fan to do it I'm guessing there's going to be energy that runs that fan what's the margins here sophia
1: okay
3: so it's not just difficult to make sure that you are locking away more CO2 than you're burning. It's critical. No industrial process of carbon utilization is going to be viable if you're burning more carbon than what you're putting away. So that's from the beginning, we started our process based on a full life cycle assessment and industrial integration. So we, after finishing our pilot phase um, last year, we can certainly confirm that we are a carbon sink and that we lock away more CO two than we burn, even from taking the rock, crushing it, grinding it, thermally activating it, all the way through to the creation of the product itself. Um, we partner with the technologies that suck CO two out of the atmosphere. So that's not our technology exactly, where the where the utilization, but the pathway to the scale that we need to be at to actually make a difference for our climate change targets, it's looking really positive. We are locking away more CO2 than we're burning, and we are scalable to the amount of CO2 that we need to be locking away. But we need to be working a lot more on um, fine-tuning our process and um, working on our engineering scale. So that's really what we're focusing on. Um, The carbon economics is just so important. Can you imagine if we were selling a product that ended up burning more
0: <laughs> mm. burning
3: more energy than necessary but it's, it's we also focus on maximizing the co2 that's sucked up not maximizing the profits per se. yeah I mean we are profitable and' we're, we're making great materials now that make money but we're going to scale this thing based on CO2 because that's what's going to make a difference in the world.
2: Sophia has big plans to save us. Save our environment. We'll hear a bit more about that in just a moment. We do need to play some ads to keep the lights on those. So just a second. Uh, If you hear some commercials, thanks for helping us pay the bills. If not, right back with Sophia.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Sophia Hamblin-Wang and her team are working very hard to help capture and repurpose atmospheric carbon to try to slow down climate change, mitigate some of the stuff that we've been going on about. So I did did want to ask her, if she had all of the money and all the resources that she needed, what would she do?
3: Okay, so our vision is that in, um, say, 10 to 15 years, If we had 80 to 300, depending on the size and the scenario, 80 to 300 mineral carbonation plants could be locking away 1 billion tonnes of CO2. So, into all different kinds of materials. So, we would, you know, you could put one next to any large steel plant or anything that is um, close to the feedstock or the industrial waste that you might want to carbonate because we don't need to only focus on magnesium silicates mm. so 300 plants around the world 1 billion tons of co2 that is a really significant chunk of our emissions target mm. also uh, that's profitable that's making money
2: that's a billion tons annually
3: yes wow. billion tons annually
2: and a profit and that it's a business that you've obviously done the sums that's going to make some cash that's right wow well that's that's a big deal
3: <laughs> uh, it is. It's <laughs> Well, we have to get it right. Over the past seven years that we've been working on it, we've been trying to under sell what we're doing because um, we don't want to over-promise to the market that mm. we'll be doing it quicker or, or whatever. We had a emissions trading scheme when we got our initial <laughs> funding. Yeah, so we got just over $3 million from the federal government, the Australian federal government, the New South Wales government and an industry partner, and it was like... One of our investors captures all of their emissions from their ammonium nitrate factory in Kuragang Island. And so they were capturing 500,000 tons of pure CO2 every year because they they knew it was the right thing to do. And they sold 10% of those emissions to um, make plastics and carbonated mineral waters, like we were just talking about. And what do you think they did with the other 90%?
2: Put it back in the air?
3: vent it straight back up the stack pipe because there are no uses for CO2 right now. Wow. You know, we have some underground injection opportunities, but they're not accessible to all technologies and not all CO2. And so they invested $3 million in us because they knew that there would be a liability in the future for all that CO2 under an emissions trading scheme. And I guess that did quite a lot of what the mechanism was designed to do, which is stimulate innovation and get companies thinking laterally and disrupting business as usual, but trying to do it in the easiest, most economical way. And so we were lucky that we got our funding and we, well, not lucky, sorry, but we had designed our project in a way that we would be nonpartisan and we are able to integrate into lots of different scenarios, and so we were able to stay afloat through many different changes in government and Prime Minister.
2: (laughs) That was Sophia Hamblin-Wang? You can follow her on Twitter, S Wang, shamblinwang, S-H-A-M-B-L-I-N-W-A-N-G, or scroll back through the podcast feed to episode 335 to hear the full chat. It's a really, really good one. Sophia's a great human being. Uh, she's going through a, a very, very exciting time in her life. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get her back on the show, actually, she's got some wild tales about COP26 when she was over there in, in Scotland. Uh, she's a great human being. And, and honestly, listening to people like her make me feel really good because it. You know, I always knew that there'd be smarter people than me working really freaking hard to try and help us, and it's good to get them on this show so I can have some actual reality to compare my fear to. (laughs) To go, well, Erin Ashley is a very smart, capable person working very hard to help us all, and I'm really grateful for her and the people she works with. If you need me, super easy, send us your email at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, just tell her, mate, that really helps us out. And a big thanks to everyone who helped me make the show today, Andy Marr, who cut it all up. Bree Steele, who produced this episode, Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of everything, and Toe Heider, who made all the music. Until I see you Friday, sleep well, and dream of beautiful things.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ.